What's up, Warriors, and welcome to Warrior Life Podcast number 375. This is Buck Green in for Jeff Anderson, who's preparing for his next Operation Save Our Soldiers retreat. Um, I asked Jeff if I could sit in on the podcast this week uh, for a very specific reason, and that is that my father recently passed away. And my father was the man who set me on the path that I'm on today when it comes to survival and preparedness, and I thought I would share with you five of the lessons that I learned from him that I hope to pass on to my own kids and that uh, a lot of us would probably do well to think about passing on to those that come after us. Uh, after all, you know, this is all about becoming a, a better provider and protector and patriot, uh, somebody who can help yourself, help your family, be self-reliant, be self-realized. And uh, I can't think of a better thing to pass on than the lessons that we learned from those that came before us. Uh, so without further ado, let's talk five old school survivalist lessons. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. All right, we're back. This is Buck Green in for Jeff Anderson. Again, I, I wanted to talk about my father. He died a few weeks ago at the age of 74. The fact that that man made it to 74 is actually really inspirational because, as I used to say, he was on a one-man war to wreck my medical history for as long as I was an adult. Uh, my doctor was once going over my medical history, and he looked up from the computer, and he said what I thought was odd at the time. He said, is your father still alive? And I thought it was a weird question until I realized what he was saying to me, which was, if he's still alive, that's amazing. And I concur. That was amazing. My father had had probably multiple heart attacks that weren't diagnosed at the time until later when they found out he had heart damage. He'd had a kidney out for kidney cancer. The man was working on one kidney for most of uh, the latter part of his life. Um, he had everything. It was finally pancreatic cancer that took him down, and he even almost beat that. He had it. They treated it. They said, you're good. And I thought to myself, mm, probably not. And no, a couple years later, it, it came back. But boy, he was a fighter. And uh, I, I had a real cause to reflect on the lessons that he taught me as a kid because he led by example when I was a kid. Uh, he taught a lot of really important survivalist lessons. He was really the template for preparedness as I understood it uh, when I was a kid. And he provided those early examples that I think all of us would do well to impart to our own kids and to sort of live by example, serve by example, to let other people know how to survive and how to prepare. So, you know, I, I sat down and I asked myself, what are five lessons that he imparted to me when I was growing up along these lines? <clears throat> and it wasn't uh, wasn't hard to come up with them. Uh, they were pretty obvious. So number one was uh, the most fundamental, and I've talked about this before. My father always carried a Swiss Army knife, always. He was never without it. It was the biggest one they made at the time, uh, the Swiss Champ model. I carry a slightly smaller one, but uh, my father was... Uh, he was truly one of the last Boy Scouts, man. He was always prepared for everything. And every Christmas time, that, that Swiss Army knife would come out when it was time to open up the plastic on packages and, you know, the, the kids' packages. For some reason, kids' toys are wrapped as if they're going to be dropped out of an airplane onto a city. 
They, a lot of toys are really in there good, man. I, I don't know why they pack them as if they're going to be shot out of a cannon, but uh, he used to have to use his Swiss Army knife to open stuff on Christmas morning all the time. Um, he used to t- use the tweezers to take splinters out of my fingers when I was a kid. I just took that Swiss Army knife for granted. And, of course, it was the forerunner to the modern multi-tool. You know, Before there were even Leatherman multi-tools, there was the Swiss Army knife. So... Early on in my childhood, the idea that you carry a multi-tool for emergencies, you carry a tool with multiple uses, you know, a Swiss Army knife, a a Leatherman, any of the modern multi-tools. We've profiled a tool called the TRS Jack that I know Jeff likes and that I have one and it's relatively small, but it's kind of the same folding pliers pattern multi-tool. And uh, they're great little tools. I never go anywhere without at least my Swiss Army knife and usually multiple uh, multi-tools. Uh, when my own child was a toddler, there was a moment where I needed those tweezers for a splinter specifically. And my brain did that that sort of flash. If this was a movie, you'd suddenly see the flash of scenes of memories. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm the adult now. This is now my job. And I've never been without a Swiss Army knife in my pocket ever since, uh, since that day. So I thank my father for teaching me the lesson of a multi-tool of a Swiss Army knife, of having multiple options for problems you can't identify ahead of time and carrying that every day as part of your EDC. Speaking of EDC, my father was also the template by which I measured flashlight EDC before I'd ever heard about, well, this was before the internet, but before, you know, candle power forums and flashlights as EDC becoming such a huge industry, my father always, always carried a flashlight of some kind. He uh, he used to carry a pocket protector. My father was trained as an engineer and full-on nerd pocket protector full of pens and a little ruler and a pen light. He always had that pen light. So he always had a light source on him, no matter what. And he usually carried a mini mag light. Um, and I used to judge all flashlights by the standard of those little mini mag lights, which were, I think that's a two AA flashlight. Um, it's you know bigger than the little solitaire, which takes like a AAA battery. They're not very bright. They're actually, I think it's single digit lumens those things produce in their incandescent form. You, you can get them in LED form now. And there were there was a brief period of time where you could get conversion kits where you could put in an LED uh, lamp and you could also add a tail cap switch to it if you wanted to and have this like little hybrid mini mag light that was sort of sitting astride two eras of flashlight technology. But uh, uh, just he always had that. And I remember thinking how many times that came in handy between the pen light and the mini mag light. He was usually covered when it came to to flashlights. Uh, He also carried a notebook in that pocket protector. Um, I carry a notebook myself to this day. I've noticed that uh, pocket field notes notebooks have become popular among people who carry like tactical pens and other EDC gear. And it always makes me think of my father. I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret. My father was a very organized man. And for years, I knew exactly what everyone was getting for Christmas because he used to keep detailed lists in that notebook. And the only time I could sneak a look at the notebook was when, of course, he was in the shower because then the notebook would be sitting on top of his dresser. So every year, for years, I knew exactly what I was getting for Christmas thanks to how organized my father was. And you might think, oh, but you spoiled the surprise. No, uh, I'm the kind of personality I wanted to know. So I was always tickled pink when things worked out the way they were supposed to. But uh, I don't, I don't, he, I think he went to his grave never knowing that I knew that. Um, And I just, 
I think about how organized he was. He also had impeccable handwriting because he was trained as, as a draftsman and used to have to letter your drawings by hand. So you had to learn how to do block letters very neatly. And I envy uh, his handwriting whenever I'm taking notes in one of my notebooks and my handwriting looks like I'm falling down a flight of stairs while I'm writing the note. Uh, but yeah, flashlight EDC, I learned that from him. And I carry, you know, a modern LED flashlight today. But it was all because of the example that he set. And you never know when you're going to need a light source. It is one of the foundations of, of survival and preparedness and daily EDC. I also carry a lighter. Uh, he was a smoker for years, so having a lighter on him uh, was not an issue for him. And I haven't added this as one of the categories. It was just kind of an aside. Um, but uh, then he quit smoking and didn't carry a lighter anymore to my knowledge. But, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that because there were times when there were exceptions. Uh, so number one was the Swiss Army knife, you know, the multi-tool EDC. Number two was the value of a flashlight for EDC. Number three was, this is a little more out of the box, the value of a good staff. I found an old picture of him that is actually the picture that I used for the graphics for this episode, if you're looking at this on the Warrior Life blog. And you can see the staff that is up against his chest while he's sitting in the woods somewhere. That man loved to walk in the woods. He he um, he he wasn't much of a hunter, so hunting for him involved walking around the woods holding a shotgun, but not shooting anything. He did get a few deer. He got into deer hunting and then handgun hunting, and he used to hunt with a forty-four Magnum. But when he was just walking through the woods, he understood the stability that having a staff gives you. I have that staff in that photo uh, in my possession now. It's a little. It breaks down into three sections, so you can store it easily. Uh, but I remember the, the example that he set, how important it is for stability over rough terrain. And a staff is immensely helpful in keeping you safe. Because, you know, in any kind of a wilderness survival scenario or in a, in a bug out or in some kind of collapse, you can't afford to turn an ankle or fall and hurt yourself. So having a, having a staff, it, it really makes a difference. And, and so that's something, I, when, when it comes to extended hiking, I always keep a staff on hand. Um, Number four, and this is, uh, this is one of those regrets that I have, my father really understood the value of a good survival knife, a substantial survival knife. He had one, and I looked it up at one point, and I've forgotten the brand name now, but it's a knife you can't get anymore. When he bought it, it was relatively inexpensive, and I think he bought it through a, a catalog company like the Sportsman's Guide or something like that. But it was a Rambo-style hollow handle survival knife that he wrapped the handle in paracord and he added a bunch of other survival stuff to it. He had it all kitted out. And that was his go-to survival knife for when he was hunting and hiking because he always believed in having gear on him whenever he wasn't at home. You know, when he was out in the woods, he didn't just go unprepared. He took the stuff with him that he thought he might need if he got stuck out there or if he got hurt or uh, if he just got lost. And that was a powerful example. The idea, you know, that I took for granted as a kid, as a teenager, hey, when you're going into the woods, you don't just go. You prepare and you take the gear you're going to need so that you don't die out there. <laughs> And one of the big regrets of my life is that knife is lost to me. Um, my father lived in another state towards the latter part of his life, and uh, his possessions ended up with uh, a, a girlfriend that isn't friendly with the rest of the family. So we'll never put our hands on any of those possessions. And it's not like they have much mo monetary value. It's a sentimental thing. But I do have other things that belong to him uh, that mean a lot to me, but, and some of his knives, I have, I do have some of the knives that he had in storage that weren't things that he carried with him, but boy, I remember 
that survival knife and how much value and time he put in it. Um, I know here at uh, Warrior Life, we advocate machetes for survival. And I know Jeff has since progressed beyond the classic survival knife and uses his machete for most things. I love those Guardian machetes and I have a bunch of them and they are among my more prized possessions. But I have a warm spot in my heart for the classic survival knife, and it's because of my father and how much time and effort he put into prepping that survival knife to make it kind of a mini survival kit. Finally, number five, probably probably the most thorough, the most... Um, in screenwriting, we talk about through lines. You know, writers talk about through lines in movies, and and uh, novels have them too. Um, the idea of an idea that goes through everything else. Well, with my father, the through line, the idea that went through everything else, was stockpiling. Uh, you know, stockpile, stockpile, stockpile. That was that man's guiding philosophy. You might say he was a bit of a hoarder, although he was a very organized and clean hoarder. But uh, when it came to stockpiling. Anytime he ever needed anything, he made sure if he didn't have it, that the next time it came up, he would have it and have it abundantly. I used to live with my brother and uh, my brother would sometimes stick his head into to my room and say, uh, hey, in the archives, you wouldn't happen to have item X, would you? And by archives, he was referring to all of the gear that I kept on hand, including various household items and I always took great pride in having whatever it was that he was looking for you know anything from a a glow stick to a to a toothbrush to anything in between uh, or you know an obscure piece of hardware or something uh, you wouldn't happen to have such and such would you and we used to run into that situation all the time when doing home repair and improvement around his house because my brother was also in possession of several bins of hardware that my father had accumulated over many years. Towards the end of his life, my father sold most of his possessions or gave them to family members, including this accumulated hardware from his workshop. And he's, he wanted he had a plan to travel the country, and that plan ended up looking a lot like moving down south and staying there because it was inexpensive to live there. And... Uh, uh, I always thought that was kind of funny that he set out to travel the country and just ended up living in the South. Uh, but he was comfortable and it was inexpensive to live there. And he was able to get a concealed carry permit in like 10 minutes. So I knew he wasn't going to come back up North. I live behind enemy lines in, in uh, New York. So I know how different it is up here compared to down there. But uh, uh, it was so, so fun to me whenever we go, oh, I need such and such a piece of hardware. And my brother would go looking in the bins of hardware, you know, screws and nuts and bolts and other more obscure pieces of things. All of those little drawers have labels in his handwriting. My father's handwriting is instantly recognizable. And, uh, you know, and anytime he found something that he needed, it was like, thanks, Dad. Thanks for setting aside this particular piece of hardware 15 years ago <laughs> or however long ago it was so that I can use it now. Um, when it comes to being prepared for emergencies, my father drove around with what I swear was the, the contents of a machine shop in drawers in the back of his Suburban. He had one of those toolbox things that takes up the whole floor of the cargo area of the Suburban and makes a false floor so that you then have drawers that you can pull out with stuff in it. And he had so many things. It was like a rolling survival kit. Uh, he had, you know, everything from tools to emergency gear to weaponry even. Uh, one of those was a single-shot shotgun that had extra ammo in the butt of the, of the shotgun. Um, the, the man was just all about putting away the supplies that you need. And it made a lasting mark on me. He taught me the value of making sure you have something 
And if you found yourself needing something in a situation where you didn't have it, he made sure that that never happened again. And the the story that I remember most vividly, it goes back to, you know, him hiking through the, the woods and, and, you know, having whatever he needed when it came to, to hunting. Again, not much of a hunter, my father, but he did get a few deer. And one time we went out handgun hunting. I remember I had a, I had a Smith & Wesson 44 Magnum and he had a, a Ruger Blackhawk, I think it was, with a great big old seven and a half inch barrel that he wore in a bandolier across his chest. I believe he got two or three deer with that gun. Uh, in different years. <laughs> Let's not get crazy. But anyway, we were out hunting, and it, hunting was not for me, at least not for me as a as a college-age student. I remember thinking I was so bored, I was ready. I, I don't care what you shoot, a cow, a dog, another hunter, just anything so that we can go home. I'm joking, of course. But uh, uh, I remember we went to leave finally, and we didn't get anything that day. And he was driving a van at the time. And we went to leave. We were parked in a cornfield on whatever, whoever's property it was we were hunting on. We went to leave, and we got stuck in the mud. And uh, we tried in vain to push that thing out of there, and all I got was covered in mud for my trouble. But as we're trying to get our van out of the mud, these three rednecks in a, a Ford F-150 pickup truck, and I, I don't say redneck disparagingly. I consider myself redneck adjacent. But these guys were, you know, farm hicks to the core. They come rolling along in their Ford, and they look at us, and it's clear that they're like, huh, look at look at the city slicker in his van, got himself stuck in a cornfield. So they threw us a chain, and they pulled us out. And now we're driving home, and we're driving in silence. Because my father feels that he's lost something by ha- having, he didn't like having to be rescued. And and I, I thought, well, what if I joked with him? I said, Dad? Yeah. Were, were we just saved by Larry, Daryl, and Daryl? And if you get that reference, you're as old as I am. But I said, what were you just say, by there? And he, there was this long silence, and finally my father, not looking at me, just driving, says, yes, never speak of this again. <laughs> and we never did, although I've told that story to a few people. Um, and just, you know, he, he didn't like that someone else had to rescue him, but he made sure that was never going to happen again. From that point on, my father always made sure that he had a four-wheel drive vehicle. He he started out with a small four-wheel drive truck that eventually became my brother's truck. And then when it was time for him to turn in his van and get a new vehicle, he bought a four-wheel drive Suburban. And he, the man drove Suburbans for the rest of his life. Uh, <laughs> much of it, that single Suburban that he put like three engines in, he finally broke down and bought a different one after he got tired of putting engines in the old one. But anyway... Uh, you know, having gotten stuck once, he was never going to get stuck again. And those lessons, they stuck with me. The idea that this man lived by example and showed me how to be a prepared citizen. I was a survivalist before anyone knew what the term prepper was, before it had ever been invented. Um, You know, I used to read survival magazines from the 80s, and they were a different breed. Everyone was convinced the Russians were going to invade and we were all going to have to survive nuclear war. But uh, I I think now about the legacy of my father, who this isn't really about him, although I'm pleased to have been able to use this podcast to sort of commemorate what I learned from him from a survival and self-defense standpoint. But uh, we should all strive to be that type of role model, whether you're a parent or you're mentoring other survivalists, whatever it is. Make sure that you teach to others these valuable lessons. That is why I love working with Warrior Life so much, because Jeff, on a much 
larger scale is doing that. He's living by example and sharing these valuable, important lessons of survival and self-defense with a very wide audience that he reaches quite extensively. Between our social media followers and the people who are on our email list and the people who read our blog, Warrior Life has tremendous reach. And I'm so pleased to be able to help people with those lessons of survival and preparedness. And that's what my father did for me. And that's what uh, I hope I'll be able to do for my kids. That's what I hope you'll be able to do for the people in your life. So that's why I say with great, with great feeling, until next time, prepare, train, and survive. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.